Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning, ladies. It's so good to be back here again. Last week, Patty did such a beautiful job guiding us through what true repentance looks like and reminding us that unforgiveness can lead to resentment. Last time I was here, I mentioned my love of Disney stories and how comforting it is to relate to the princess being protected by her father, the king. The story always starts out with a peaceful kingdom where everyone is happy and the kingdom is going as planned, but we all know something always goes wrong. The baby princess might get cursed by a jealous villain, or she eats a poisoned apple and falls asleep for a couple years, or maybe she trusts the wrong person and ends up with legs and no voice. We see suffering all around us, in the movies we watch, the songs we sing, and in our own lives and those we love. So why? Why does this suffering happen, and how should we respond to it? When we first jumped into the Psalms, we learned that the majority of them are songs of lament. The Psalms allow us to have an over-the-shoulder view, as Patty quoted Timothy Keller, to the deep sufferings of the authors and how they respond. Pain both physical and emotional, perceived abandonment from God, feral fear, betrayal, all these things are present in the lamenting psalms, and they represent this broken life that we walk here on earth. We hear in Psalm 6, 2 through 3, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 38, 4 through 6, we hear David cry, For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. Psalm 13, 1 through 2, reminds us that we aren't the only ones that have felt God far off in our times of suffering. How long, O Lord, will you, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Martin Luther says of the Psalms, What is the greatest thing in the Psalter but this earnest speaking amid the storm winds of every kind? Where do you find more deeper, more sorrowful, more pitiful words of sadness than in the songs of lamentation? So these psalms of suffering, of lament, of crying out to God, remind us that we are not the first to travel this road of strife. One reason I think the Lord allows us to go through these struggles and sufferings is to bind us together and comfort each other while we are here on the earth. As we are walking through collecting these scars of suffering, we are able to relate deeply to others struggling with similar things and come alongside them. In early 2016, I lost my dad to a massive and sudden heart attack. He was 60 years old. I was 29. There were no warning signs. One evening, my parents went to dinner, came home, my dad went to take out the trash, and then he went to be with Jesus. Losing a parent as a young adult felt very lonely. 29 is not the age when you normally have to figure out life without a parent. 
But in the days and the weeks following that loss, I received messages and calls from friends, some that I hadn't spoken to in years that had walked the same road. They were able to encourage me in a way that others couldn't. When we go through these times of deep suffering and pain, we find comfort in those who can truly understand what we are feeling, those that have the same scars. That is why Hope Mommy exists, for those women who are walking the painful road of pregnancy loss. This is why there are grief support groups and widow groups. The Lord uses this pain we are going through and allows us to help someone else. As we heal and can see the other side, he invites us to join him in comforting others. What a privilege it is to know that our pain, while ever so difficult, is not wasted and can be used by him. Another reason for this suffering, the same reason for that why there are weeds in the field and pain in childbirth, is that our world is broken. So many of these sufferings and painful things that we go through remind us that this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not the way the Lord designed the earth, and these illnesses, deaths, betrayals, and disappointments are a product of our sinful world. But when we see this pain around us, it should also point us to the one who came to heal us of that brokenness and will one day return to make all things new and right, our Jesus. Our Jesus that chose to obey his Father, leave heaven, and come down to our broken world. Our Jesus who can relate to our sufferings and pain because he experienced the deepest rejection, betrayal, and physical pain for us. Jesus grew up singing Psalm 22. He grew up singing, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Verse 1. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are at a joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. Verses 14 and 15. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Verses 16 through 18. Jesus grew up singing these things, knowing they were about him. What a weight to carry, knowing that what was coming and still choosing to obey his Father's will. Nancy said it this way in our study, but there was one Jewish boy who grew up singing the Psalms who knew exactly who the Psalms were about. These were the songs Jesus sang. In the Psalms, he found the shape of his own identity and the goal for his own mission. So how did Jesus respond to the suffering that he voluntarily went through? He went off and prayed. He yearned deeply for his Father's will, and he found comfort in his relationship with the Father. In Matthew 26, we see Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest, verses 38 and 39. Then Jesus said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus cried out to his father when his soul was grieved. He asked for rescue, for change from the situation he was in, but he honored his father, and he wanted his father's will above all else. 
What an example for us as we go through times where our souls are deeply grieved. Jesus' suffering didn't end with feeling grieved to the point of death in his soul. As he continued to choose love for us and his Father's will over his own comfort, Jesus endured the physical sufferings and humiliation of a trial and conviction. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. If anyone had the right to say they didn't deserve this treatment, if anyone was able to be angry over the injustice of what was happening to him, if anyone was able to say stop and make it all stop, it was Jesus. He was completely innocent and completely perfect. After he was beaten and humiliated, he suffered the physical pain of crucifixion and the sorrow of being separated from his father. While on the cross, he must have been thinking about the psalms that he grew up singing and that he knows so well, the songs that were about him and for him. In John 19, 28, we see Jesus on the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill Scripture, said, I am thirsty. This fulfilled Psalm 69, 21. They also gave me a gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. But it whispers back to Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, as well as Psalm 63, 1. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Our Savior, the living water, was showing us that when we are in a dry and weary land, we are to thirst for him and to thirst for the Father. John 19 continues on in verses 28 through 30. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So I am not a theology major and have never studied Greek, but I did look up that phrase, it is finished, in the Greek. I found out that the word is tetelestai. I'm probably saying it wrong. This word means it stands complete. It is the word that an artist or a sculpture might, a sculpture, I'm sorry, an artist might use of a painting or a sculpture that they've been working on for a long period of time. Jesus had completed the work that the Father had set before him. Earlier in John 4.34, we see that this was his goal and his deepest desire. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This cry of, it is finished, was not a whimper of defeat. It was a triumphant proclamation. Jesus had accomplished what he came to do. He had taken on the sin of the world, suffered for us, and through that saved humanity and allowed us to go to the Father. This selfless act of suffering and his humble response to that suffering should be our response and encouragement as we walk this broken road on earth. 
1 Peter 21 through 24 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting him to him who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we were healed. So how do we handle suffering like this? When our souls feel almost grieved to the point of death, when we go through physical or emotional trials or betrayals from the people that we love and trust, I don't know about y'all, but many times in my life, my first response to grief is not to run to the Father, acknowledge his will in my life, and allow him to comfort me. My response has been anger, distance, and a feeling of my own sense of justice, that I do not deserve what is happening to me. I have a brother who is five years older than me. Growing up, even though our ages were far apart, we were very close. He was a wonderful brother. He was kind and helpful, minus a few of those teenagers. Once he started driving, he was actually the one that took me to school. He loved the Lord, and I took pride in being called Ryan's little sister in our youth group growing up. When my parents would argue and I was scared, I would go into his room until the storm passed. I looked up to him, and without knowing it, I put him on a pedestal. The summer before my senior year in high school, when Ryan was about 22, our family's world imploded. Ryan had gone to volunteer at a church camp for the entire summer, and he was sent back halfway home for inappropriate conduct. Now, there's something you need to know Ryan about Ryan before this summer. He wasn't wild and crazy like most young men. He was kind and shy, and he followed the rules. So to hear that he was on his way home and he got kicked out was very confusing to me. I immediately assumed that some sort of mistake had been made by the camp. But as soon as Ryan walked through the door, we knew that something was wrong. Something was different about him. That summer, we saw a complete 180 in Ryan's personality. He was angry all the time. He was hanging out with people he never had before. He was promiscuous and bringing girls home, which was never a thing in our house. He was even delusional about certain things, and then eventually we realized that he had started using drugs. After months of trying to figure out what was going on, we ended up checking him into a psychiatric hospital, and we were finally given the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Those first few years after Ryan's change were so difficult. Our little family of four, that wasn't super close anyways, grappled with how to handle and how to process this. Instead of me and my parents coming together and running to the Lord, we distanced ourselves and we tried to process things individually. So as a 17-year-old with no knowledge of mental health, I cried out to God to protect my brother and to stop whatever this was that was happening to him. I was scared for him and oftentimes I was scared of him and the people that he would bring home. When the Lord didn't stop what was happening to our family immediately and return us back to the status quo, I felt abandoned by God. I felt abandoned by my parents 
as they were also trying to sort things out in their own minds. Our Psalms help us know that we are not alone when we feel this distance from God. On page 173 of our book, Nancy says, All of his life, the psalmist had been taught to believe in a loving God who was near to those who call on him. David had known the Lord as his shepherd, his refuge, and his help in time of need. But when he wrote these words, Psalm 22, evidently his experience seemed to contradict that belief. Rather than being near, God seemed so far from him. This is exactly how I felt. I grew up hearing that the Lord would be close, that the Lord would save, and that the Lord would protect his people. But because of my anger and my confusion, he felt far away and unapproachable. So my answer to all of this was to run. First, I ran away from the problem, literally. After that first year, I graduated and I went off to college. I went an hour north and I didn't come home very often. Secondly, I ran away from the Lord. Not in an outward way. I had to be sure to maintain my good churchgoer, private Christian college girl, the good sibling status. But I stopped reaching out for that relationship. I didn't stop praying, but my prayers were very shallow. I wasn't trusting the Father's will and leaning in to what he wanted to teach me and allowing him to comfort me through this struggle, through this process of grieving my brother, or at least grieving who he once was, my hopes for who he could have been and what our relationship should have looked like. Instead of following the example Christ set for us by clinging to the Father, the giver of hope and comfort and love, I chose to avoid the pain and numb as much as I could, at least until the emotional damage caught up with me. As Nancy puts it, while we may sometimes feel abandoned by God, we never have been and never will be. Because Jesus was alienated from God as our substitute, we can draw near. Because God turned his face away from Jesus, we can be confident that he will never turn away from us. So our, our response should be to stop running away from God when the pain feels too deep to bear and to run to the one who understands that pain because he himself felt it for us. We've talked all semester about our whys. As Jesus grew learning and preparing for this main event of his life, singing the songs that foreshadowed the darkest and most glorious day in history, he had a why. We clearly see in scripture that his why was this deep desire to honor and obey his father's will and his desperate love for us. We see evidence of that love and the loving kindness he showed us as he walked his ministry here on earth. Jesus allowed his why to fuel his response to the suffering and pain that he experienced. He responded with humility, kindness, obedience, forgiveness, and love. I'm not sure what painful road you might be walking today. You may be at the beginning of that road and you can't see the end. You may feel like you've been walking that road for a really long time. Or maybe you're finally at the end and you can look upward again. Our encouragement today is to look to the Savior, to be comforted that he knows what it's like to go through suffering and that we are not alone then to be stirred by his example and to run to the Father, to trust him and respond humbly to him like Jesus. 
that it's okay to try out, to cry out, and to beg for rescue and change in the middle of these difficult situations, but to ultimately allow the Father to comfort us and to lead us through the darkness. It's been almost 20 years since my brother's bipolar, my brother's bipolar diagnosis. I used to think about what life could be like now if it had never happened. What would our relationship look like? This life event has affected so many aspects of my life in these last 20 years. It is one of the main reasons that my mother and I are not close. It is the reason that holidays are tainted with anxiety and guilt and sadness for me. In these last 20 years, I have tried to process what happened to Ryan and our family on my own. Until recently, I hadn't allowed the Lord to guide me through this suffering, to draw me near and teach me his kindness and love. Ultimately, this distance that I placed between me and the Lord had stifled my walk and my relationship with him. I know that while this broken, non-existent relationship with my brother and the pain that he and our family have gone through for the last 20 years was not my plan, it also was not a surprise to God. I am now trusting in his will and praying that he will show me how to be obedient to him and respond with humility like our Savior when more suffering comes. The end of Psalm 22 reminds us that there 